Welcome to the Political Economy Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Pethokoukas of the American Enterprise Institute. Each week, I feature a lively conversation with experts on some of the most important economic and policy questions of our time. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider rating and reviewing it on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. Ratings and reviews really help with the podcast visibility, and I always appreciate the feedback. Thanks, and on to the show. Professional sports teams love to ask local governments for public funds to build their stadiums. The teams claim these subsidies will pay for themselves through increased tourism and entertainment spending, but economists aren't so sure. For decades, researchers have cast doubts on these claims, yet local governments continue to help wealthy owners with their construction costs. In this episode of Political Economy, I'm sitting down with economist and sports fanatic J.C. Bradbury to learn more about why these stadium subsidies don't seem to work out in the end. J.C. is a professor of economics at Kennesaw State, right outside Atlanta. Along with Dennis Coates and Brad Humphreys, he's author of the new study, The Impact of Professional Sports Franchises and Venues on Local Economies, a Comprehensive Survey. J.C., welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on, Jim. I think people who love sports might look at you as a guy who's going to ruin all that for them because you're applying cold, hard, cost-benefit analysis to sports. Just to be clear, are you a sports guy? So I I love sports, and actually that's why uh, I've done so much research relating to sports. And, you know, as an economist, I often get cast as a wet blanket no matter what. You know, economists are famous for sometimes bringing those cold, hard facts to uh, to the debate, and sometimes they're uncomfortable facts. And when it comes to something like sports, uh, it's it's. I just want everyone to be honest when we're having a conversation uh, about the stadiums we pay for, uh, what athletes are worth, or anything like that. And sometimes people don't like to hear it. Uh, no, I uh, I sort of started uh, becoming aware of your work uh, via via Twitter, and. And I and that wet blanket remark, I can see how people would think when, when someone would someone, you know, they, they would love to have a fancy new sports uh, stadium. Let's let's get a new stadium. And if we, and if we as taxpayers have to pay for it, I mean, there's more to a team than just the sort of various revenue streams they might bring to an area. So why not have why not have uh, the local government help pay? Right. So, I mean, as a sports fan, I really like having other taxpayers fund my preferences. You know, it's great that I live in Cobb County, Georgia, where we just built a new stadium for the Atlanta Brave 10 minutes from my house. That would seem to benefit me. But I don't think I should make my neighbors have to pay for it as well. You know, if I want to pay higher ticket prices for it, uh, that's perfectly fine. But when we start asking other people to pay for it, that's where a few things happen. One is that other people subsidize my preferences, but also the owners of these sports teams, which might be billionaire corporations or billionaire owners, um, they actually reap all the benefits of that because they don't have to fund the significant part of their physical capital that uh, they need to run their organization. And so with that, um, we often think of, well, why should we fund a stadium? And everyone says, oh, well, think about the economic benefits. We're going to pay. Uh, people are going to spend money and we're all going to be richer because of it. Whenever I hear a stadium that, you know, the a stadium proposal, there isn't there always a, a pretty fancy economic study that says, guess what? This thing is going to bring it. it it'll, it'll pay for itself in no time. It's, you know, tourists are going to come and all kinds of benefits. 
Right. And, and, and the great thing about those arguments in, in, as we go through time is that we can go back and look at that. Do we see communities that build stadiums having big economic benefits? And when economists go back and look at this, we say, no, that, that's not there at all. And the reason for this is very obvious. And, and we should understand why these pay, four higher paid studies are done. Uh, they're phony. But the reason why they don't work out is that most people who go to see a sports event are people who live in the town locally. And if they weren't going to the sports game, they didn't have their money buried in a, a lunchbox in the yard or underneath a mattress. They were spending it somewhere else in town. So all we're doing is reallocating local dollars around the community. And the biggest beneficiaries of this are the team owners who also happen to be fabulously wealthy. So it's a it's an example of a wealth transfer is what we're seeing. Are there? Do you have a, an example or two of a particularly egregious uh sports deal where you look back and you think I, I i can't believe people ever agreed to finance that stadium either given you know what happened afterwards the wealth of the the wealth of the owner because you're right sometimes it does seem absolutely uh ridiculous that um taxpayers are, are asked to foot at least part of the bill Right. Well, you know, you know, it's um, <laughs> it's hard to think of one where there wasn't one where something right. went wrong. But, you know, so, it, you know, just from my own experience living right here in Cobb County, where the Atlanta Braves moved from downtown Atlanta to a suburban stadium. Are they they just got a stadium, right? Didn't they just and they either they're building another stadium or they built another a, another new stadium. So the Atlanta Braves took over what was the Olympic Stadium for the 1996 Summer Olympics. And they started in 1997. And then in 2017, they moved just up the road to Cobb County to what is now Truist Park. So the, the stadium uh, was only in operation for you know two barely two decades. <laughs> and so they replaced it. And Cobb County taxpayers helped fund that as part of that. So that's that's why that stadium happened. And the interesting thing is that, oh, this is going to be an economic uh, home run, they called it. It's going to pay for itself. And I went back and looked at the numbers and said, well, basically, we're running about a $15 million deficit a year in the county budget. And, you know, it was interesting where some of the revenue streams that were used to fund the stadium used to fund, say, tourism. So the tourist department came and said, hey, we need some more money. And they said, sorry, there's none left. Uh, you know, uh, people said, oh, well, we're going to have to close some libraries. We're going to have to raise taxes. And those are things that all happen. People say, oh, they had nothing to do with the stadium. But when you go back and look at the dollars and cents that are coming in, it's definitely a, and it's, it's not the major contributor, but it is a contributor and it is not something that's generating added revenue to the community. And so in the comp situation, we're talking about spending about half the half of the stadium was funded by the public. But some of them, so for example, in Las Vegas, a very, I would just closer to 100% was funded by the public. And so they're going to bear much larger costs for that. Uh, actually, I was, actually, I was just thinking as you were speaking. I started thinking about the Las Vegas one because you had the uh, the NFL Raiders move there, and now there's talk maybe about uh, the Oakland A's baseball team moving there. And I'm like, what tourists going to Las Vegas is gonna? You know, I mean, are a lot of those tourists really gonna go see uh, a football game or? Or, or a baseball game. I mean, I, I though I would assume that the economic studies, again, will w would say like, oh, yeah, there'll be X amount of tourist revenue. 
Well, so that's one way you might get some added revenue is from tourism. People would come and visit your city who otherwise wouldn't be visiting the city. But no one's going to Las Vegas to see the Las Vegas. It, it, exactly. <laughs> so, so you, what happens? We do these studies and we go, oh, look, there were the stadium holds sixty thousand people, and if you everyone stays in a hotel room for five nights and they spend a thousand dollars a piece, look how wealthy we're all. But the reality is that most of these hotel patrons are displacing existing people who would otherwise be staying there. And it's not just in a city like Las Vegas, a city like Atlanta. You know, we have a lot of conventions here. So when people aren't coming for a Falcons game or to the Super Bowl, they were here anyway. And there might be a little bit added on top. But um, cities tend to way overestimate the economic returns that they're going to get from hosting a team or events. And like, like I said, it's not like economists are just being naysayers. We go back and look at the evidence. And so I recently did a survey of every single study that's ever been published on the subject. And there weren't any that were finding positive impacts. It's just universally the case that stadiums are poor drivers of economic development and generating revenue for cities and counties that fund them. I would imagine one response is, you know, what you're saying fails to capture it's it's missing things. It's, it's a it's a maybe a a quality of life effect by having this sports team, this beloved sports team in this town and not move. You can't capture that. You can't, you can't capture that that love, the quality of life. And you won't love it as much if it's in a different city. And you certainly it's going to be harder to, you know, to go attend the event. Well, you know, that's a, a critique I often hear as an economist. So you economists are just concerned about money, and that's all you think about. Cold and calculating. When, but but when, in fact, economists have actually gone in and studied those intangible benefits of, you know, do, am, am I just happier because I live in a big league town? Are we attracting more corporations here? And some of the unique methods right. of you, you can't be a big league city without a big league team and at least a couple of the big sports, right? Well, and and. People seem to get the causality backwards. Teams tend to move to cities that are already big league, and that's why they have teams. And so if you want to take a look at how people value a sports team, aside from any monetary benefits they might get, there are a few ways you can look at that. One is that we have some unique ways of doing surveys where we ask people questions about how they value things. And they're 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 not perfect, but they get at methods to say, how much would you be willing to pay just to be a big league city or value having a team in town? And typically those studies find that people are about to pay no more than 20% of whatever any subsidies that's ever given. So it's not even close to covering the cost of funding it. We also look at property values. So think about houses in neighborhoods with good schools tend to sell with higher property values. And so some of that gets captured into the price of the property. The same thing should happen with sports stadiums. If sports stadiums make a community more valuable to live in, then we should we should see higher values of properties around stadiums. And we don't see that happening. I mean, there's some evidence that maybe there's some, but when we get down in the, into the uh, sort of nuts and bolts of it, it looks like if there is any positive effect, it's very, very small. And oftentimes it's negative. And the reason why the property value effects are sometimes negative is that Sports events are associated with some undesirable things, crowding, congestion, and crime, particularly a bunch of drunk people running around that happens uh, at sporting events. And so uh, there have actually been some arguments that sports stadiums do damage to communities because of this. They prevent grocery stores from opening up, doctor's offices from opening up. Uh, but also when voters vote, that's the third way economists look at this, and that we tend to see that the people who are most supportive of stadiums actually don't live right near the stadium. They live 
in sort of a Goldilocks zone, not too far away and not too close because they can get to it, but they want to get away from the stadium. So these intangible effects are something that economists have studied uh, quite a bit. And again, they don't justify the amount of money that the public tends to give to fund stadiums. Does it matter where the sort of the stadium is located? I, I think of something like Wrigley Field, which is in a dense urban area um, where, you know, there's a lot of bars and restaurants and, you know, people love moving down there. And, and a lot of stadiums would like to cut, sort of create that. If they don't already have it, they'll build a stadium and then hope that all this stuff sort of springs up around it. But then there's stadiums which are kind of not by anything. Have you looked at all sort of the location where maybe it makes more sense? So there, there was this thought sort of in, particularly in the 1990s, that it's, we built all these sort of cookie cutter stadiums that were, there were about five of them throughout the country. They all looked the exact same. They hosted baseball and football, and they were, they were in moats of parking lots around them. Oh, well, that, that's, that's preventing economic development. But even as we developed cities that, uh, stadiums that were in cities that were in more urban environments or more uh, environments that were conducive to commerce outside the stadium, they still didn't tend to have much added economic development. And part of that was because stadiums create negative externalities as well as positive externalities. Some people like living near the stadium, but other people don't. You can't have a grocery store. You can't have a doctor's office. Certain retail outlets don't want to open up near stadiums. And even if there is some benefit, it really is about sort of about a mile from the stadium is where that those benefits just totally disappear. And so um, we don't even see any of those benefits. And there's even some argument that being separate from a stadium can actually help the neighborhood. Um, and, and like I say, th that evidence is somewhat mixed, but it doesn't seem to be any strong impact of saying, oh, well, you just didn't build this stadium right. Uh, because you look at a place like Wrigley, and Wrigley is a is a wonderful atmosphere, but that was an organic atmosphere that just emerged there. No one said, we're going to put Wrigley Field right here because we're going to support a federal league team. You know, that's what Wrigley was built for, a federal league team that, right. that went defunct. And it just, and so we're looking at it in hindsight saying, we're going to recreate this. And that's something that is really very difficult to do and not something that urban planners have been able to replicate. It kind of, it kind of reminds me in a way of a, of Silicon Valley where, Everybody, every everybody would love to have a version of Silicon Valley in their state, other countries, and they try to come up with sort of these after the fact plans if we just do this. But that's not how it was created. There was no master plan from like the Eisenhower administration in the fifties to create Silicon Valley. It just all you know, there was a you know you had a university, and then there was the war, and there were defense. It was like all these kinds of one off things that ended up creating Silicon Valley. And then when people try to do it after the fact by a plan, well, it just sort of has has never worked out. Right. And that's one of the things about uh, just urban agglomeration. Uh, it, it's difficult to understand what we can do as a community. We understand ways, you know, building roads, people can travel down, maybe more walkable spaces, but stadiums just haven't been a part of that. And, and, and you're right, trying to, how do we're going to, we're going to make a new Silicon Valley. Well, Silicon, no one really planned Silicon Valley. It kind of happened. And so this notion that we can plan these developments so that they're successful, it's really almost conceit. I mean, we, we, we can't simply just do that. And, you know, the, the whole term laissez-faire, I mean, that comes from leave us alone. You know, it's it's not something you, you look at it, you think it's complex. I can replicate this and copy it. 
But certainly when it comes to sports stadiums, it absolutely has not worked. And nothing we've done, whether you included the development, build it all by itself, they never seem to work. If the city I live in or near gets a Super Bowl, or if it gets an NCAA championship, or uh, boy, it gets an Olympics, is that a, is that probably going to be a, a, a net financial positive for my city? Well, it, it depends on the event. And something like an Olympics is absolutely not a net positive unless you are a very big city that already has many stadiums and arenas. You do have people traveling from all over the world who are coming in, spending their money. It does displace some of your own citizens, may end up leaving uh, for a little bit. But what really happens in a lot of these events is these communities end up spending a lot of money to host events for a one-time thing. And so, you know, you build a special notatorium to host all the swimming events. Well, there's not going to be another event there ever. So you did it one time and you spent hundreds of millions of dollars on all these venues. And so Olympics in general are not very good for most places. When you look at an event, say like a Super Bowl or NCAA Final Four, again, those are events that they actually may have a slight positive impact on the community because you do fill up some marginal hotel rooms you wouldn't otherwise fill up. And you do displace some existing economic activity, but perhaps they're beneficial. But the reality is that we, they do these economic impact studies and they go, oh, it's going to have $400 million worth of economic impact if you host the Super Bowl. And when you go down and you look at, well, the number of hotel rooms, number of extra spending, subtract out the display spending, it's more like something like 30 to 40 million, which is a lot smaller. And so you ended up spending all the money uh, hosting the game. You you forewent um, certain taxes to host the game. So you lost revenue from that. So most cities end up no at no better than breaking even is the best they come out of it. Uh, but yeah, and it, so it depends on the event. I, I feel like the message, the economic message about the Olympics is starting to penetrate. Uh, you know, some of the especially some of the recent winter games, there haven't been as many comp- uh, countries bidding, and the ones that have bid are, are tend to be more authoritarian, so they really don't have to care what like their people say about it. Is the message about building safe is that getting through to cities and taxpayers, and maybe the local media being far more skeptical of these economic reports? Yeah, it, when it comes to um, something like the Olympics, I think that because of There's the obvious extravagant waste that happens with the Olympics. I mean, there are websites devoted for, you know, decaying Olympic stadiums. Uh, And so I I think the Olympics is is sort of a a unique type of event uh, in which perhaps there's some more skepticism. So, for example, I think Boston actually bowed out of bidding for the last Olympics because they said, we we understand it's it's a bad deal. But when you take something like a Super Bowl or a Final Four or a college football championship, that's something that cities – tend to still think are a good idea. They still tend to bid for them and think that we're going to make hundreds of millions of dollars off them. Um, my uh, interaction with the media indicates that media are not really covering this very closely. They simply, they get a, a slick press release. They paid someone to put some numbers in a model. They go, oh, we had an economist look at it. And you go and you look at this and you go, you know, I, I work in this field. I study this stuff. No, no, this is garbage. But here it is, front page banner headline. You know, World Cup playoff going to generate $100 million a day for the city. And you go and you look at the study and it's terrible. And who is there to check that? And if I'm a reporter writing the story, you know, my my editor gave me gave me a story. I didn't really want to do it. I went, I called someone at the Chamber of Commerce and said, oh, this is great. Here's a study you can use. I put it in my story. You don't think twice about it. 
And so I think there's there's a lot of poor media coverage of this just because people don't don't know uh, that these these events don't seem to be big drivers of economic uh, economic uh, development. Is there an example where a city has been more rational about these stadium proposals? Is there any willingness to say, okay, leave? It's obscene for taxpayers to subsidize a team owned by wealthy people or wealthy corporations. Well, if you look at some of the experiences of the teams in California, so let's take L.A., which now has two football teams. For 20 years, it didn't have a single football team. And they said, we're not going to build you a stadium. We're going to go outside. We're going to go to the beach. We're in L.A. We don't need you. And what did the NFL end up doing? They ended up coming back, building a $5 billion stadium and hosting two teams. Go and look at uh, San Francisco, and you want to take a look at uh, San Francisco Giants. They were threatening to leave, build us a new stadium, and they put it for the voters. And the voters kept rejecting every plan until finally they just said, well, we'll give you a little bit of land. <laughs> and so 95% of that stadium was funded privately. And owners understand that they're going to make money by opening these uh, stadiums in wealthy metropolitan areas. And they want to have their teams there. And so I think city uh, leaders need to understand the power that they have over these teams. Teams want to be in the in these cities. And so right now, a great example is the Tennessee Titans with like a new stadium right next door to their old stadium, which is just 23 years old. And they said, we need to build a dome. We're going to get a Super Bowl. We're going to do all of this. The NFL wants Nashville. The NFL, that's a, that's a growing, thriving metropolitan area. People love to visit Nashville. If the NFL went away, People are still going to want to go to Nashville. The NFL wants to be in that town. So leaders need to understand, we don't need to build you a new stadium. We built you one already, and you'll be fine with that. And what happens is it, it's in the long run is that the team ends up staying. and Or even if they do end up leaving, what happens? A new They put a replacement team in. So I mentioned Nashville. They had the Tennessee Titans. Well, they had the Houston Oilers. So the Houston Oilers left, and what happened in Houston? Well, they got a new team. <laughs> the NFL wanted a uh, a team in in Houston, so they put one there. Charlotte Hornets. They leave, moved to New Orleans. What happens? They put the Bobcats, and now they're renamed the Hornets again. And so teams want to be where those populations are that are willing to support them. And so I urge you know local leaders to be patient and not you know fall for the for the snake oil that they're being offered. And I think the best way to do this is to hand this off to voters. Voters seem to do a, a better job of rejecting these ridiculous requests for subsidies. And I think we need to. And, and teams understand that. That's why they don't like them to go to a vote because it gives time for opposition to form and. And makes the deal a little bit better for everyone involved. JC, I have about 30 questions that never I never got to ask. And I know your your scholarship uh, goes beyond just what we talked about today. I would love to have you back. This was great. Thanks for coming on. Sure. Thanks, Jim. I appreciate it. 